Hi, Linda. Can you hear me? Hi, Lynn. Hi, honey. Can you hear me? Wait, just you... a second. Oh. Now I can hear you. Oh, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Working on a cold, unfortunately. Ugh. And Mike is, oh, oh, he sounds so terrible, but he doesn't feel as bad as he sounds, so that's good. So are you guys resting? Um, yeah, we're trying. I, he had to run out, and I wish that he wouldn't, especially in this weather. But um, what is going on with my camera? I don't know. Ours is funny, too. It is? Um, am I distorted? No, not at all. And neither. Fact, you look great today, by the way. And you, I can see you perfectly. It's, okay. But, I, but, but, but looking at myself, it's like my hands are all distorted. <laughs> oh, my. Well, no, he had to run out. Um, the place that mom is at right now, it's falling yeah. apart. Oh, um, no. They've lost the director. Um, That's this the th is third or fourth. Yes, third. How do you know? Are you keeping track too? No, because we had sung there uh, several years ago. Then we sang a year ago. And then we sang two times last year. And we were on to the third one then, weren't we? Second or third. Okay. Well, yeah. it, it, they've, they've lost the third one. And now the one person that actually we always used as our go-to um and felt good about was um, the nurse that was there, Kathy. And Kathy is gone. And she didn't even give them any notice. She just, she just left. Okay, so it's time to get Marge out of there. Well, and um, hospice, who's going in there five days a week, is finding her in some poor conditions based on the most recent report. Okay. So, um, yes, Mike has gone. He's gone out to, believe it or not, Lowell. There's a place called Maplewood or Maple something, I think, out in Lowell. Okay. It actually is a family-run organization. It's small. Okay. And um, a hospice speaks very highly of them. Okay. So he had a meeting scheduled out there with them this morning. And then I'm going to try and um, do some research on Samaritas too, because when I went to Samaritas before, I really liked it over there. Okay, now we have sung in Samaritas in the terraces and that's where the apartments are. I yeah. don't know about the assisted living. The it's director, yeah, the director that was there um, when, when I actually visited, and this is before mom even was moved out of the house, the director that was there, um, she knew all of her residents by name. She knew their families. I, they all knew her. She was very visible to, to everybody. She didn't just sit in an office. And um, everybody seemed really happy. And there were a lot of activities for, um, actual activities for outside families to come in. You know, okay. there was... There were cocktail hours, even yeah, down in they, there. They do that at four o'clock. Yeah, we sang in a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, 
So, yeah. I mean, it felt like a really good place to me. And my next door neighbor actually has her mother over there and she's been there for years. And she goes over there to see her like every other day. What about so, Sentinel Point? Sentinel Point. Um, when we looked there the first time, they didn't have any openings. Okay. And there was something about them financially that wasn't very good. Okay. okay. So I, I don't remember exactly. I mean, so many of them, Linda, but so many of them are lousy too. There we go. Let's all start with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of, the, of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we meant upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is from everlasting, thine all holy, good, and life giving spirit, now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. All right. So I believe we finished chapter seven last time. Am I correct? Close. That we all have? Yeah. Now remember, five, six, and seven are the... Who remembers? Sermon on the Mount. Sermon there on you the Mount. Okay, and we went, we mentioned early on, we talked about Matthew being the first of the New Testament, that there are some, some Genesis-like qualities to it, um, a lot of Old Testament references, um, especially the first five books. And in some ways, one of the things that some of the commentators have noticed is that there are five long discourses. So we just concluded the first one. So Jesus went up the mountain, just like Moses went up the mountain. He received, he shared the revelation, and now he's going to come down the mountain. So that's the first of the five. We'll see the other ones coming up. And so now it's going to it's going to change. There's going to be sayings and teachings, but not like we've had it at least for a while now in in that lengthy discourse five, six, and seven. All right. So let's look at first verses one through four. Anybody wants to volunteer? I'll read. Thank you. Uh, eight, one through four, you said? Uh, yes. Okay. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Okay. So one of the things that's changed is I believe this is the first time we really know that there are great crowds following Jesus. We've had him call disciples. We've had him go up and teach the disciples. 
we talked about the ambiguity. How many are there for this Sermon on the Mount? Is it a small group? Is it a large crowd? Uh, different rate, ways that you could support either idea. But now it's very clear that there are great crowds following him. And why I'm mentioning that particularly is that when we ended last time, we talked about the fact that Jesus teaches with authority. He's not teaching uh, just as the scribes of Pharisees who interpret the law, rightly or wrongly, but he's teaching as the one who's the giver of the law, right? You've heard it said this, but I say to you. So that was a big change. And now we're going to see that part of the result of that change is that great crowds are following him. Oh, our camera slipping in a second. Sorry. So again, remember, it's, it's one story, and we know where the story is going to end, and you're going to see how the buildup to the arrest, the killing, and then the resurrection um, is building up throughout. So it's already there. The fact that great crowds are following him, you already have the uh, people seeing him in a different ways or seeing the religious leaders of the day. And so that's going to build, that's going to build up. Uh, what do you find remarkable about this little dialogue? It's, it's one of the other things that, that the Gospels have are beautiful discussions between people and Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, you had brief interactions, brief conversations, but very, very rarely conversations with God. You had, you know, Moses, the burning bush is one, a few other ones. So now we're going to have a, as a regular feature of this story, this new revelation, this, this book, conversations with Jesus, who, according to what the gospel is going to show us and what our church believes, is God. So this is, this, these are conversations with the divine, and we're going to learn a lot about his relationship with us by these seemingly individual conversations. But, of course, we're going to apply all of this to us. It's not just about what he did with the people back then. So what do you find interesting about the conversation? It's relationship to COVID. Now, ah, interesting. Let's hear it. That is interesting. You know, God, originally God was, people thought God was punishing us and, and uh, we're isolated from people, you know, not able to go places and do things. And He told the man not to say anything once he cured him. Yeah, hang yeah. on a second, Linda, because I want to go back to what Alan said for a second, but that's an important point, too. Say more about that, Alan, this, this isolation you're talking about. Well, the lepers were isolated. They couldn't right. go anywhere, and they were frowned upon, and uh, people looked down on them. And I don't think it is so much now with COVID, but early on, it was kind of like... Um, You've got a bad disease, and we don't want to associate with you. Well, I could tell you as a, as a recent COVID patient, that has not faded completely. <laughs> People were always kind, but uh, it was not uncommon for me to be communicated clearly, like, stay away. <laughs> Uh, I'll let you in on a, a little bit of a secret. The second weekend of my missing church, I was technically out of quarantine. 
But the advice I got from everybody, <laughs> and I mean everybody, was, you know, it's probably best you don't come that weekend. <laughs> now, there were other issues. It wasn't just that. But it was, you're, you're right. There's this idea, especially with a contagious disease, and leprosy is a very contagious disease. And the fact is that the leper is coming up and kneeling before him. Right then, it's striking. We don't, we're not used to leprosy in our modern day, thank God. Um, but the fact that a leper came to him and knelt before him already is a very striking thing. It's like saying somebody with uh, COVID-19 went up to somebody, got in the three-foot bubble without a mask, and started talking loudly with spit coming out of their mouth. Right? That's the image, right? This is somebody who is to be feared and to be uh, isolated from. So that's a great point you're bringing up, Alan. Um, and I want to take this slowly because there's a lot in there. There's four verses, but so much in here, as there always are. Um, what does the man say? What's his first statement? And what there's a lot in there. He says, Lord, if you are willing. Really? And I think what, what is so telling is that this leper felt he could approach Jesus and that Jesus was approachable. And, yes. and for them to know that at that time, um, that it was safe, that he wasn't going to be rejected. He wasn't going to be held back by anybody, prevented yep. somehow. I, I find yep. that very interesting. You know, Susie, that actually is a really interesting point. What you said, it reminds me like Jesus was approachable. People knew that when they walked up to him, they weren't going to be rejected. Like you just said. So as Christians, we are called to be little Christs and we are called to be those people for, for people um, that like, they know that if they approach us, they won't be rejected. Wow. Yeah. And, and because he is like that, even though we're the Christians, how often do we make the mistake of wondering how approachable is Jesus for me now? I mean, yeah, we say in general, okay, we'll approach what's wonderful, but then it's time to go to confession and our, our hesitancy, our delaying, our, all that, there's something that's a play. I think it's everybody deals it to different degrees. I'm not sure what God thinks of me right now. Mm -hmm. And so here he's very clearly showing how approachable he is, but we often forget about that. I, I want to go, go ahead. I'm just wondering how difficult it was for the leper to approach Jesus. How did the crowd react to the leper if he was so, you know, shunned and had to be isolated? How did he, Jesus welcomed him, but how did he even get close enough to him in the crowd? So imagine if somebody wore a sign around their neck and said, I have COVID-19 I'm not, and I'm, they weren't wearing a mask and they're sneezing and coughing and they walked into a crowded room. What would happen? And they'd run away from him. Yeah, like the party of the Red Sea, right? Now, what you also may need to understand is that that idea of, of, of isolation, that was part of the law. So it was not proper for him to be approaching anyone, let alone a rabbi. So it's a very bold thing and a very dangerous thing. Because he's not supposed to be doing that. He's supposed to be isolating. In fact, when we get to the end, he talks about 
go off for your priest, I'd have to get that Moses commanded and go you know, show yourself to the priest. That was a proof to the people that he could now re-enter society, re-enter his, his community. But until he did that, he shouldn't have been out. But you know, his faith emboldened him. It gave him courage. Yeah. Just and um, he may have really felt, what do I now have to lose when I've really almost lost everything? Yeah. If, if this man. The key yeah, to no it, though, is that phrase before where it said he was approaching with worship. Yes. Where does it say? He, when he, he came, knelt down. He, he had already came in an attitude of worshiping him. Yeah, he fell down before him, knelt before him. Wow. Wow. So there's two, well, there's one thing that this man knows and one thing that he doesn't know. By that first sentence, the first thing he says, what does he know? That he's Lord. He knows that he'll cleanse him. He knows, well, he knows that he can. He can. Right? Mm -hmm. You can make me clean. He knows that, which is amazing. Like you're saying, so that's, that's the faith there. He knows he can. What doesn't he know? If he's willing. Right. Okay. And I want to look at that word willing for a minute because it's a very important word theologically. Um, uh, Lord, if you're willing, Ian Thelis. With that, that Thelis is, is a form of, do you want this? There'll be a debate about 500 years after this conversation about the will of Jesus. Does Jesus have one will or two wills? And we'll get into the, the deep theology on it. But it's a will. It's not, it's not just, um, hey, will you do this? Like, will you... Um, Agree to it. I mean, that is what it means ultimately, but it also includes the idea of will you choose to? Mm -hmm. So there's a desire that ends up with a, a, an action. Okay. It's not just, are you willing? Like if my neighbor says, hey, can you help me out? I might not want to do it. I might go ahead and do it. And ultimately, that's my will because I, I assent to it. But the idea is, are you willing? Do you want this? There's a want, there's a desire implied in that. Um, and the, dis the debate later on with Jesus is, does he have one will as, the, as his, his person uniting his humanity, his divinity together, or does he have two? And again, I won't get into the, the, the fifth ecumenical council will get convened about this and they'll debate it back and forth. Um, they'll decide that as a human, he has a human will but because of his divine nature, he has a divine will. So that, that's what the council will decide. But what I want you to get is that there is a, a desire. In other words, the man knows he can do it. Does he want to do it? And will he agree to do it? That's what he doesn't know. Father, yeah. if I may add, um, something that I found interesting about this was that, you know, Christ could have just said, be cleansed. But he first says, I am willing. It's just, I yep. don't know why he says that. You know, it could be he just wants to acknowledge that he is willing. But yes. it's just so interesting to me that he even uses that phrase instead of just saying, yep. be cleansed. 
like with the woman who, or the person who was, um, couldn't move, was paralyzed that they lowered down from the roof. He just said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, I'm willing, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And and it's a good point because English here is, is kind of, it hides something. When he says, I will be clean, he's not saying I'm going to do it. He's not just saying, this is my next step. He's saying, I am willing. I want to do this. Be clean. So that's a, that's an important point before he says that. Oh, sorry. Somebody said something. I was going to say that the leper probably was rejected so many times and humbly he was asking Christ if he is willing to um, to make him clean. Right. Christ responds, yes, I am willing. Right. And before he responds, at least as the text reads, what did he do? He does two things before he even says it. Or as he's saying. And then touched him. Yeah. So he's stretching out his hand. In other words, he's approaching him. Not only has this man approached him, Jesus is now drawing closer to him. He's reaching out to the point of now touching him. And they understood that you don't touch a leper because that's how you get it. You stay away, not because it can be breathed on you. They didn't really know that. But the idea is you stay away because you wouldn't want to accidentally touch them. You remember in, um, what was it? Was it Ben-Hur, the lepers? And they're all wrapped up. One, because they had a lot of open sores. And secondly, like, you don't want to accidentally touch anybody. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Watch out for that word immediately. It's going to come up a lot in the Gospels. I'll keep saying it over and over again. Every word in the scripture is valuable. Not only because it's scripture. Uh, the ink is, is, is valuable. The, the paper is valuable. Um, and listen for when immediately comes up. What's the word immediate mean? Right now. In an instant. Yeah. Nothing in between. You know, we have the media. What's the media? The media is what's between what's going on and us whether it's broadcast media, social media, whatever. It's what's in between. So what is immediate is without anything in between, without an intermediary, with nothing in between. Immediately. So no, no delay, no, no distance. His leprosy was cleansed. Um, and this is the first. Yeah, go ahead. No, you finish what you were saying and then I'll. Okay, I was going to keep going. Oh, um, I was just going to, I had a comment about what we were talking about before he said, I'm willing to be cleansed, the putting his hand on him and touching him. Um, It reminds me actually of the prodigal son, because the leper probably didn't walk right up to Jesus and like get really close to him. My guess is he was probably staying a couple of feet back to try and just in case Jesus said, I'm not willing and go away but the you know it reminds me of you know the prodigal son that the father ran to his son and like Mm -hmm. embraced him here like jesus is moving towards the leper and he's embracing him he's touching him and he's cleansing him so yeah actually did a fairly good job in that that show the chosen yeah with this scene okay and it's just like it's just like sarah was just saying the leper kind of approaches but stands back okay. because 
for obvious reasons. Yeah. And then Jesus, like, you know, where characters move in a scene, including on the page, yeah. matters. Right. And then Jesus approaches yep. and then and then touches. Yep. And so, you know, a kind of powerful, you know, body language. Yep. Now let's let's take a big picture view of why this is so important. Why is Matthew writing his gospel? Why is this? What was his purpose in in writing this book? To tell the story of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So the whole purpose of this is we want to know who Jesus is. And we're going to hear throughout the book, Jesus is the word of God. He is the expression of the Father. He's the revelation of God. Uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So this is the whole purpose is we, need, we get to know who God is and what he's like. So all these comments you're all making, which are really beautiful and important, are all going to be fed into this overall narrative. And the goal, why does somebody write a book? So that the reader can receive the message, right? A story is never just a story because A happened, then B happened, then C happened. A story always has a so what, right? If, if I tell you, I always go back to the three little pigs. If I tell you the story of the three little pigs, why am I telling you that story? Because it's interesting because there's pigs that build houses. What's the what's the, what's the so what of the three little pigs? You have to build a strong house to protect yourself. Okay, so it's not about the pigs. It's not about the pig's house. Right. It's about you and your life. Every story is like that. Every story, we're going to read ourselves into the story, and we're going to take messages out of the story. That's just how it's how story works. You can't change that. Um, so. The main reason is we're going to learn about Jesus. What's the so what? Because we are intended to know him. And he is God. So no, every God. little thing, every movement, every part of a conversation, the goal is that we now take that and we incorporate that in our view of God. And I say this all the time. This is where we, we all struggle is we keep forgetting the God who's revealed himself to us. And we replace with the God that we write his character profile. Yeah, God was like that. Jesus was like that with the leper, but I've done this sin so many times. God's so ticked at me. He doesn't want me back. You know, we all say those things. Somebody was going to say something. I was just going to mention that, you know, the symbol for the book of Matthew is the man, you know. Uh, and um, so you'll see in the, the four different symbols, it the book of Matthew uh, gives us the story of Christ, you know, the genealogy and Christ, God becoming man. And so um, I just brought that out as a, as kind of a, an add-on thought that yeah. uh, it is all about Christ. And we are reminded of that even in the symbolic image of um, the angel that's in the... Carolyn, excuse me, what, what, is the, what is the source of the, the, the image you're talking about? You know, like the, you know how the uh, four images, um, the man, um, the, um, the lion, the eagle, 
Um, the it's, it's in the ox. It's the four symbols that the book of Ezekiel talks about. Oh. We can talk about it a little bit later, but um, I was just mentioning that the book of Matthew is represented by uh, the symbol of man because of it begin the book of Matthew begins with the genealogy of uh, Christ. Carolyn, um, just, I have another question about that. That's interesting. Would you be able, I know you don't have to explain why each one is, but just tell us which one uh, symbolizes which book of the Bible. So Matthew is the man. Yeah, Matthew is the man. Um, um, the eagle is John. And um, then the um, Luke is the, um, yeah, the ox, because it begins with the sacrifice. It talks about the sacrifice. And then the Mark. lion is Mark. Mark. And then for those of you that were in our last Bible study, the last book, where did we encounter these four creatures? Revelation. Revelation. Yeah. And where were they? Do you remember? Around the throne. Around the throne. So they are, in a sense, expressing the reality of the one that they are surrounding. So they're around the throne. And in some ways, they're making known the one who sits on the throne. Wow. So that 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 dovetails very well with what you're saying, Carolyn, about this. They're in the stained glass of yeah. So why did they say well, next time you walk down the hall, look at the stained glass because they're there too. What is it? Look up the book of Kells. Which is what? Which is um an early, I want to say illuminated gospel, seventh, eighth century ah. Irish okay. Irish it, it was big in kind of Western iconography and the British Isles and everything. Okay. So, yeah, they're if you look it up online, I mean it's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, Father, I have a comment about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, nice and loud. Nice and loud, everybody. In the book of Luke, it actually says in the very beginning why he was writing this. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. John says too at the end yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. I think, Father, I so appreciate everybody's comments, um, especially the analogy too. Sarah had never considered that. But what I'm wondering about the, if you are willing, you know, we pray to God and we ask, we hope he's willing to answer it, whatever it is we're asking. Um, he doesn't always answer it the way we want. Like you say, Father, we don't mold him. Right. You know? um, but I think including that, I, I wonder if Matthew, is letting us know that God exercises his will too. Um, sure. And if you are willing that, are we, are we right to have an expectation that he will be willing? <laughs> so what do we know from the story? And I, let's, let's, we're in, we're in chapter eight. We've got Seven full chapters behind us and very powerful couple verses. What do we know about what God wants based on what we've read in Matthew so far? He wants the best for us. And that and, it, and because they're using the leper as an example, and if he was brave enough to ask for help from Jesus, God, 
it's showing you how very approachable God is, that any one of us can pray and ask for God's help. Yeah, and I think there's something very powerful on this, Susie. Look again at the man's words. He knows that Christ can make him clean. He knows. Yeah, what's he, what's he asking for? Christ to be willing. God's mercy. Is he? Healing. You are willing. You can make are you me willing? Lord. So what's the question? Can you make me clean? Will you? Will you? I know you can. Right. But will you? you want to be so real? Is it not even a question? Say it's not. It's not. It's not a question. He's not asking Christ actually anything. He's declaring yep. the reality of of the situation. Yep. Well, there's saying, not a question yeah, mark there. Very good. Yeah, if right. you're willing, it's a statement. You can. Yep. And Christ, Christ then responds with willing and able. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know. So it's interesting to me that uh, now, now that you put it that way, I just I always somehow put a question mark in my head, but you're right. It's There's a no. statement. Um, so it's tied in with our faith because he, he, uh, he just already said that you can do it if you're willing. Yep. So in other words, he had, faith, he had faith in God to do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a reminder for us to know God's like what he's willing, what he's able to do, and, but never expecting things from him, always asking and continuing to ask, not expecting anything in response, because it's like, we're always told that God knows what's best. And he's not always going to give you what you want, but he'll always give you what you need. Right. That what you're all talking about this, it makes me reminded too, like that maybe the messages of this whole book is just that God is always able, but you have to ask for his help. He needs you to ask. Well, in this case, not even ask. No. Hmm. In a way, it's a demonstration of what Jesus has talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's given this sermon, he's talked, and he's told them all these things about, you know, how he's up on the mountain and he, he addresses the lowliest of them and says, you are coming up to heaven. Mm -hmm. And those of you who don't think you've got anything, the poor in spirit, the, the lowest of you, you are now going to um, experience and participate in this. And then he comes down with the multitudes, and then the lowest of the low comes by, the lepers. I mean, he, hasn't, he hasn't addressed him yet. The lowest would be the, the, the worst of all of them. And the leper who, you know, Jesus having spoken with authority and astonished everybody, the leper says, you can, you can cleanse me. Now we talk about what cleanse means. And going to that, we'll go farther um, if you're willing. And Jesus says, yeah, I am. And then, and then reaches out and touches him, yeah. saying, now I'm, now I'm bringing everything from heaven here. Yep. And I'm bringing you up to heaven. And that's, I think, you know, yep. part of it. And then he will continue to do that down the book with other kinds of healings and restorations that he does to, to not be all talk. Not that that's what he is, but the Sermon on the Mount, if, if it stopped there, it'd be a really good sermon. Mm -hmm. But now he just goes on and says, now watch. Yeah. But don't 
tell anybody to do Yeah. And this is the first miracle, if I'm remembering right. We haven't had one yet, have we? I was going to go back and look, but I don't think so. Well, the so, wine. Which one? The wine, him changing the water into wine, right? Wait, no, that's not in here. That's in John. That's in John. Oh, okay. I don't I don't think we, we had the call of the apostles, then we went straight to the, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the first miracle, which, you know, that's John's first miracle, or the first miracle in John. So first really significant. And I want to go back to this point you were bringing up, Susie, about how do we apply this? And I think there's a very important point that Scott made, which is if we're going to apply this, we stop asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a statement we should make. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So I know it's, but it's, it's a statement of our faith in what we know he can do. Now, we've heard this terminology before. Um, it was about a chapter or two ago. You know, some more hints. The word will played a part in it. It was an important prayer. Oh, thy will. Thy will be done. Oh, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Now, there is asking, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the absolute what we need. Give us our necessities. There is, there is asking there. But then there's a statement, thy will be done. Just like it's done in heaven, we want it done here on earth. So I, I think there's a great corrective for all of us here. with Because we do a lot of asking. We, our, our prayers tend to be very heavily asking oriented and i think what he's saying is not saying what's wrong to ask it's not wrong to ask we've already had other we'll have other examples but the statement your will be done if it's asking for anything it's a statement saying whatever is your will i want to make that my will because we're the ones saying we're the ones saying thy will be done so he has his will it's his will and we're saying thy will be done in other words i want my will is now your will or your will, I want to make my will, which is, is more of a statement. If you want to make a request, I guess you could say it. But that's, I think that's the heart of it, Susie. I think that's the goal for all of us is, is to really lean off of that emphasis on our asking and lean into this, thy will be done. Yeah, it, 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 just one other point on that. I think, I think, I think that we, we're tempted sometimes we tend to think of a separation, you know, between us and God, and a separation between heaven and earth. And I think a lot of this message, when he says, when the leper says, "Be cleansed," it's it's no longer be separate, you know, no longer be the COVID yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Can I rejoin society? Can I rejoin this society that you're starting to form here? Yep. And and that then we, we think about the Lord's prayer, you know, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking about bringing these two things together, which is, I think, a lot of that from the Mount on it, because again, it's sort of putting his money where his mouth is. Yep. Well, I think, yeah. other two that. I think also you know, with the, that. Hang on a second, Sarah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, the the thy will be, you know, the thy will be done, or if you are willing, I, I a, a big piece of that is 
you know, the leper is putting is putting it in Christ's hands totally because Christ does will us to be cleansed. Christ does will for us to be, does will our good. Mm-hmm. We don't always will our good though. So it's important. So even when I'm kind of asking things of God, it may not actually be the things that are good. It may not be, in fact, probably the majority of the time it's not. So that, you know, making that kind of statement of um, whatever your will is for my good Lord, you know, um, I, I, I want to be on board with that because my, my definition of good and my will and everything totally needs to be reconstructed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. you know recalibrate it because i don't have a good sense of that i was gonna say also too and a uh sorry a okay. an aspect of this i think that sometimes we can miss and that's why maybe like the COVID analogy is limited is that leprosy is not just something that kind of like befalls you like it's really unfortunate in the first century, Mm. because clean and unclean by the first century had become also moral categories. Mm. So like in the Torah, a lot of times they're not moral categories. They're just kind of, they're just kind of status. (laughs) Like if you become unclean, you go outside the camp and you kind of fulfill the requirements. There's no kind of like you fail, (laughs) you know, or God is punishing you. It's kind of a category. But by this time it had become a moral failure. If you became, if you were unclean, you can see the religious leaders at the time using that language in the way we would say it's like sinner. Yes. If you're unclean, that equates with being a sinner. Yep. And so this person has this leprosy and what we would maybe say today, like religious people now, we would go, this person is suffering and because they're reaping what they've sown and God is giving to them what they've done. Because clearly this person's done something to get leprosy. You know, that, that, that's a, this idea in the first century is that this is somehow God's punishment. Right. God, you know, if you're not hashtag blessed, God is punishing you. Right. Yes. <laughs> and that's for some reason. Right. And so, you know, when we kind of think about that today, like when Sarah says, as, as you know, as Christian people, when we encounter the world, what is Jesus's response to, you know, somebody who the religious folks would say, they're enduring God's punishment. Mm-hmm. Jesus approaches, touches, and says, "I'm willing. I am willing to be clean." Yeah, that, that's be a clean. huge, important point because that temptation is going to keep re-rising. And in fact, it's one of the correctives Jesus is going to have over. I forget if the the woman caught in adultery. I don't can't remember if that's in Matthew or not. Mm. But and John. Okay, so yeah. the whole the whole story there is. Like Scott's saying, she had fallen into sin. In other words, she got sick. He comes along to heal her, and he has to correct everyone who's already now condemned her, and now they're going to fulfill the condemnation and kill her. Mm -hmm. And this, so Jesus is going to try to make that corrective. Some are going to listen to him, a lot are not. And you think about even the dialogue today among Christians. Uh, There is this return again, as it's always been coming up, that when people fall into sin, are they to be criticized, shunned, condemned, labeled, or are they to be dealt with compassionately and say, okay, if you're ready to be healed, the church has healing from God for you. Mm-hmm. But that's, it, it's a constant temptation to, 
what Scott's saying, and I wasn't aware of this in terms of the first century, where that sort of condemnation, moral condemnation, to what before it was not. It was, hey, you're sick, here's the treatment. Here's your prescription. Why is a child blind? Is it his fault? Or there you go. Yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Illness or poverty or, or anything like that was seen as, well, clearly you did something to earn this. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that we're back there again with modern, yeah, that should, even modern very, Christianity. It's we're very back unfamiliar there. to us. Yeah, right. yeah right. We've heard that before. They must have done something. Yeah. Rick, you were going to say something? Yeah, I, I was going to say that um, at the risk of sounding, I don't know what, but the um, it, it's just occurring to me that through this discussion, and the big thing that, that you know, I'll try to get to it, but the, the, that we should become a little more bold in our faith. I don't mean to be proud, but I'm just saying that we should actually strive to become more bold in our faith. Not, not because a lot of times, like you said, Father, we're afraid to come to confession and so forth because a lot of us don't feel worthy enough. And we think, okay, you know, I, I can't approach God because I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. But the, but the thing is, he was, I think he's telling us that the faith you have to, to, to think about it. I always wondered about the faith of the size of a mustard seed. You can move a mountain. <laughs> and so I think he's saying to us that you have to develop a faith and the faith of just coming to him and saying, if you will it, then you'll do this. But it's kind of a it's kind of a really thin line here with you know with, without asking but believing am i making myself clearer yeah but 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 yeah. yeah you're you're and it's but believing in the real sense of it is it, you're putting your trust in that perspective yeah so you're absolutely right that the boldness of faith is right where we where we often go wrong or Christianity often goes wrong is if I'm going to be bold in my faith, I'm going to go out and find more people to criticize. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where this boldness is I'm going to be bold enough to say to God, I don't have a clue what I need, but you do. And you can do whatever you need to do. And if you're willing, you'll do this. I don't need to even ask for it because my trust, my faith, my trust, my belief is in you. That's I think you're absolutely right. That's that's the bold faith that I it sounds like you're talking about. Right. It's like a it's, it's, it's like a humble boldness uh, almost. Yeah. Where like you're bold in your faith, but you're also humble enough to recognize that you have to be bold because you're such a sinner and you need help. But where's the strength in the relationship? You or God? In God. Yeah. Yeah. Where where is God? He's here with us. Right here, yeah, touching right here. you. Yeah. And he's a strong one. Yeah, he's strong. He's so, yeah. How you feel about yourself? You're no longer weak. <laughs> yeah. And if you are, it doesn't matter because God's strong. And that's the faith of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what's so astonishing to everybody because it flips, flips everything on his head. Previously, God is up there and we burn incense or uh, sacrifices or whatever to him. And the lepers are at the lowest part of it. Yep. Now God with the lepers. Mm -hmm. That's yep. Yeah. 
So, so you all know that I'm not as original as you think I am when you come to confession. I tell almost everybody, most of us spend our spiritual lives, forget our lives last time, but our spiritual lives, 90% of our focus is on ourselves, yeah. even with good motivation, and 10% is on God. And when I'm on ourselves, I mean our own shame, our own, my effort is what I want to do, my intention, my plan. And then somehow God is in there. He's in the mix, but a lot, most of our attention is on us. And I always say, and this is to myself as well, if we could flip that, <laughs> give 10% of focus on us and 90% on God, and this is where this, this leper is giving us a good example. What, what does that look like? He took whatever he had of his fear of what are they going to do to me if I go out in the crowd? What's this teacher going to do to me? What's he going to say? All that stuff that he could have put into the 90% said, you know what? Here's a guy that is whatever I've seen him. I'm going to call him Lord. And I'll read you a quote from St. John Chrysostom II, how significant that is and how he treats him. But he's really, he's done, he's already flipped it. He said, I'm going to put 10% of my focus on me. It's not like he's not aware that he's a leper and that he's, but I'm going to put it. In other words, his strength is not his. His strength is in the faith in Jesus. It's not a personal strength. That's where a lot of us think it astray as well. I'm going to get better. I'm going to work on this. Then I'll come to confession. I'll work on this. Then I'll get better. Then I'll... He's saying here, stop all that internal gymnastics. Put your faith in God. Let him be the strong one. You can be the weak one. That is your strength. Being weak is, is our strength. Father, I think that's why when you really meet a truly holy person, which is infrequent, but if, if anybody has met a truly holy person, they seem so light. Yes. They don't seem burden at all. Yes. I think it's because they have this kind of relationship with yep. God. That's the result of faith. Yeah. What's that quote from Chesterton? You know, the angels can fly because they take themselves so lightly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me read this quote for you. Um, this is from St. John Chrysostom. With great fervor before Jesus' knees, the leper pleaded with him with sincere faith. He discerned who Jesus was. He did not state conditionally, if you requested of God or if you pray for me. Rather, he said simply, if you will, you can make me clean. He did not pray, Lord, cleanse me. Rather, he leaves everything to the Lord and makes his own recovery depend entirely on him. Thus, he testified that all authority belongs to him. One might ask, what if the leper had been mistaken in this assumption? If he had been mistaken, wouldn't it have been fitting for the Lord to reprove him and set him straight? But did he do this? No. Quite to the contrary, Jesus established and confirmed exactly what he had said. So, again, if, if the point of this book is we, we want to know about Jesus and Jesus expresses God, just the fact that every, every word in this thing is, is significant in terms of what we learn about God. And, and this man provides a great example for us on how we can approach God. And Father, what is the story? Is it, it's Naaman, you know, when Naaman has leprosy in, in Kings. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the king of Israel where it, 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 he says, you know, sends him a letter and he says, who am I? Am I God? You think I can cure leprosy? And then Elisha, you know, the interaction with Elisha. 
but it's interesting and it, it, that kind of background in light of the story because it's, it's like well god cures people like this and heals people like this and the leopard's saying if you are willing yeah. like like saint chrysostom was saying right. you know not not uh well pray to god and i'll be good yeah but if you can and then jesus responds in the affirmative yeah i am willing all that authority, all that authority that you just talked about at the end of at the end of, at the end of seven, yeah. you know, is with him. One of the criticisms that uh, Father Paul Tardesi, who was my scripture professor in seminary, would make of, um, well, actually, all the English translations is where it says, it says there, "Lord, if you will," that's the word "kirios," like "kirieleison," Lord. Sometimes in English, the translators will use "Lord." And sometimes they'll use sir. Mm -hmm. Now, in the English system, it's the same, right? <clears throat> you address a lord, right? I mean, originally. You address everyone as sir. Right, right. Right. Okay, that's reserved for. for right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Once he's <laughs> the, elevated, elevated knight or whatever, right. yeah. Or if you go Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, do you think that him but, saying, I am, also. Um, identifies himself with God by even just using the word I am willing? I mean, you could make the argument, definitely in John, that becomes a much more strong argument. Mm -hmm. um, here, I think it's it's just the English that renders it that way. Um, versus uh, three. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's in English. It's... it's um, fellow is I am willing. So it's probably not in that case, but there's a lot where in, especially in the gospel of John, where he does say very clearly, I am identifying with the, the name of God in the Old Testament. And this is really, it's really typical in, in the gospels, particularly, except for John, you know, Jesus isn't just coming out and saying I'm God. He's doing God's stuff. <laughs> and being recognized for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and being recognized for it. And every, yes. that's why everybody's tearing their clothes and accusing him of blasphemy and exactly. doing all these things. Who is this guy? Right. It's because he's doing God things rather than just going, by the way, everybody, exactly. I'm God. Yeah. And, and and who knows that? The leper. The leper knows it. Okay. It's yeah. not a priest. It's not the high priest. Mm -hmm. Like like the Archdeacon said, this is the lowest of the low. And again, remember one of the messages of Matthew the gospel of grace, the gospel of extending to the outsiders, here's the ultimate outsider. He's the untouchable, literally. And, and that's the one that Jesus is going to first. Again, the first miracle. I want to get to verse 4, and then if we still have time, we can take a question or comment. Um, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people. Um, what is that gift? What's that? What's the gift of Moses? I forget. I don't know if any of your footnotes have it. It, would, it was prescribed like, if you get healed of leprosy, this is what you do. You go and you offer your gift, just like you know when when we're gonna see in a couple weeks um, at the the uh, when you uh, a male opens the womb, you take this offering. And so Joseph is going to go and get his two paternal doves, which is uh, one of the, the cheaper, lower cost offerings you can give. 
And you can tell him to continue to follow the rules. Yes. I mean, they're going to know he used to be a leper and now he's not. He needs to go offer 10 sheep or I have a footnote that talks a little bit about it. It says the biblical law concerning leprosy is found in Leviticus 13, 14, Deuteronomy 24, 8, describes the purification of leprosy in leprous houses, which was a duty entrusted to the priests. Leprosy was considered direct punishment for sins, as Deacon David said, and as lepers were unclean, they were not permitted to live in the community or worship in synagogues or in the temple. Touching the unclean was forbidden, yet Jesus touched the leopard showing his compassion, showing that he is not subject to the law, but over it to, to clean, to the clean, nothing is unclean. So. Yeah. Let me read you another quote on this <laughs> from St. John Chrysostom. It was an ancient law that the leper was cleansed, should not entrust the recognition of his cleansing to private judgment, but should show himself to the priest. By this means, it would be confirmed in his own eyes and he could then be numbered among the clean. For if the priest had not corroborated it, he would have remained outside the camp among the unclean. Now that's the Old Testament. And what I think is so important for us and why we Orthodox do what we do, not as opposed to others, but as a continuation of, of, of the reality of the Old Testament, it's not up to your private judgment. People say, why do I have to go to the priest? Why do I... I can't confess to God. Sure you can. But you're leaving it to your private judgment whether you've been cleansed. <laughs> and here he's saying you don't do that. And, and uh, listen to who, it's, who he's corroborating it in front of. By this means, it would be confirmed in his own eyes. And then he could be remembered among the clean. In other words, yeah, you can confess to God. Are you forgiven? You might say you are, but until it's been corroborated for you, maybe you think you are one day and the next day you don't. The, one of the purposes of confession is the next time you feel guilty about a confessed sin, you're supposed to remember, oh, wait a minute. Father pronounced my forgiveness. I heard him say it. It was corroborated. And now you go on with that new reality, that, that, that the reality of the cleansing. It's one of the reasons why... Um, that we, we continue that, that priestly line uh, going forward. It didn't end with, with the coming of Christ. It gets expanded because Christ is going to be, in many ways, the example of the new high priest. Um, but it doesn't end. And another thing, and, and I think you made this point, he's not blowing up the law. He's not ending what they knew of as this is what it means to be a faithful Jew. He's going to, in his words, fulfill it. But he's not ending it. And so that's why we as Orthodox, so much of what we do looks to other people as Jewish because that's the roots. It didn't stop and then start. It kept going. It took on different meetings. It took on expanded understanding. It was fulfilled in Christ, but it didn't end. Well, I mean, that's St. Paul's logic in Romans. Now that we've been cleansed now that we've been made whole in baptism in Christ offer ourselves as a living sacrifice right in Thanksgiving yeah <laughs> of that of that cleansing yeah father yes um I asked before but we didn't get to it yet so before we end can oh, you tell me what can you tell me why Jesus told the leper not to say anything after he cured him? Yes. 
where is that? It's verse eight, four, I think. Is verse four. Yeah, there was a comment I was trying to find. I can't find it right now. Oh. <laughs> um, it's what some of the commentators are going to call, uh, often they'll call it the messianic secret. And Deacon David, you hinted at this. Periodically. Yeah. But you, you had your own interpretation. I think is right. What did you say? <laughs> he's got some things to do. Yeah, he's got some things to do. Yeah, yeah he's got Okay. So if, if what gets out is that this guy can give you important things like healing your leprosy, then that's all he's going to do. He's going to be approached. And he's going. The reality is hardly ever do they ever listen to him. <laughs> right? Don't say anything and they go tell everybody. So he can't keep it a secret. But that's, that's the, main, the main thought is that he has some things to do. He has some things to teach. He has some places to go and preach. He has um, all kinds of revelation of what he needs to do. And so as a way of delaying that, that's how most people interpret it is don't say anything to anyone. In other words, let me do what I've got to do. But still do what you're supposed to do, which is go show yourself to the priest. Yeah, that's not a, that but he doesn't do want him to focus on the, the curing of the leprosy so that he can reveal himself little by little. Yeah, so he's not just seen only as a healer. Yeah, consistent with the overall plan of everything he's, he, he, he's got to do. But that, as you said, that's not un that unusual a thing. It strikes us as unusual. I think when we read about a miracle, because right. we saw a miracle, we put it on a billboard. Right. Yeah. But it's not that unusual in, in our daily life to have people say, you know, I've got tickets to the game, but don't tell anybody yet. I got to do it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 it, does, it does come up where you hear yeah. somebody say, I'll let you in on stuff, but don't say anything about it. You know, I got right. to do a few things. And so that's, Almost to me, more what it is. It's it's it's. I've got some things to do here. Yeah, I need you to kind of keep it on the QT while I do a few things. We hear that. It's not yeah, it's a strategic plan. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that, that really. I, I I think that really is it because I mean, you see in the Gospels, you see over and over, people are trying to make Jesus into the Messiah they want. From everybody, from the crowds, yep. like you know, and in, in like in Mark, the crowds are like very ambivalent. They're, when the crowds show up, Jesus tends to like run away. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but um, the crowds, the disciples, you know, trying to define what Jesus' messiahship is going to look like, what his ministry looks like. Right. And sometimes he has to fulfill prophecy. Yeah, right. I mean, he's got yeah. to come in on the the, the fall of the house, right? He's, right. He's got yeah. to do some things that, yeah. that are going to be people are going to look at the Old Testament all that. Right, he's mm -hmm. got some things to do, but it does. It strikes us as more unusual than I think it is. Because yeah, know, we, when we read about the miracle, we why didn't he tell anybody? That's wouldn't anybody do that? Well, actually, if you think about your own life. <laughs> even if you, you know, I won the lottery. Yeah. don't tell anybody. <laughs> right. Well, and I, yeah. yeah, the first thing you do is tell people not to tell anybody. He's really, I think, trying to like rage against expectation. You know, in many, but like, you know, so. This got pointed out to me one time, and I was like, oh, yeah. They're like, they had stadiums in in Judea in the first century. Right. Why didn't Jesus just fill them? You know, why didn't you just fill stadiums and do a miracle and then see that tens of thousands of people could have seen this guy's God? Why didn't he do that? Yeah. Because he did his target. 
Well, not, well, but not, and not just that. I think it's, I, I think it's, you know, Jesus is, I mean, this is a, this is a long, steady walk, especially in Matthew, to the cross. Yes. You know, well, well and in all the Gospels, really, really. Nice to hear you know, and, and, and so you have to kind of go to that. You have to go to Calvary <laughs> because that's not what anybody was really expecting the Messiah to do. Right. That means you're not the Messiah if the Romans kill you, by, like by definition. <laughs> right. You know, so Jesus has to define his own ministry. What does it mean? What does it mean when God shows up? Yep. What does it mean when the Messiah actually comes? People have all these expectations, including us. Right. What happens when God shows up and does a thing? And he has to go, oh, okay. So you have some things, you know, you had some hints and prophecies. Abraham was going to have to see my day. Right. But largely, though, you, you, you've kind of missed it. And I'm here to reveal <laughs> who I am yeah. and what my ministry is going to be. And so let's not, let's not get carried away. Right. And it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think no. it is. I'm going to tell you and show you. I will show you. Is. You know, yes. let this play out. Father. Yeah. Uh, quickly before we go, I was a little stuck on this. The, the gift that Moses commanded. So yeah. um, the answer is in Leviticus 14. I'm not going to read it because it's kind of long, but basically it's, it's like... Um, basically a sacrifice to acknowledge the gift of the cleansing. Like you're killing two small doves and you're cleaning them and then putting them over the, the fire, things like that. So that's what he's talking about when he says and offer the gift that Moses commanded. As a yeah. So yeah. And Leviticus is, is chock full of that. And Deuteronomy, you get it again. Uh, if this happens, this is what you bring. If this happens this is what you bring. You go make your offering. And then that's, that, that was how, they related to God. In that yeah, time. there's like two pages of like explaining what what is a leprous uh, sore yeah. and what is not a leprous sore. Yeah. And if it looks leprous, then you look for this, and it's it's really yeah. Good. That's that's what makes reading the Old Testament sometimes difficult. Well, I'm so fast. There's a lot of studies on, it. and a, a lot of Old Testament scholars just say what we now call leprosy is not the leprosy that like oh, really? Leviticus Deuteronomy stuff because okay. the, the the conditions are kind of so different. Okay. Um so it is it is a kind of some somewhat of a what exactly is this kind of leprosy yeah. that they're dealing with in and you know so tabernacle Israel. I think that also goes to that immediately word that you yes. periodically is what do you mean you didn't have to build like three temples or right. whatever right. <laughs> yep. yep. it just happened to them. Yeah. Right. And that's a, that's a Thank you, everybody. Uh, we are not meeting next week. I will be away, and some of us will be away. But I believe in two weeks we're on again. How many? How many are going to Kentucky? Uh, at the moment, seven. It keeps going up and down. <laughs> oh, okay. We gain some, we lose some. We gain some, we lose some. Right now, it's seven. Okay. So, like the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Hi, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Everyone. Yeah,